All right. Well, we're all here. Good morning, everybody. Man, I am so glad you're here today. It's so good to see every one of you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Matt Jansen, Matthew Jonathan Jansen. Actually, I am six foot five. I'm a radical lover of Jesus, and I'm married to this amazing woman right here, Tanya. And we get to be your lead pastors. And I'm going to tell you honestly, there's not a week that goes by that Tanya and I don't look at each other at least once or twice and go, can you believe we get to do this? I mean, it's unbelievable. And we're so grateful to be able to be here with you today. I'm so grateful to be able to share the word with you. Uh, I'm honored to be able to do that this morning. And for those of you who have not been with us, we're going to kind of dive right into this a little bit. Um, We've been doing a series called The Seven Letters. And we've been talking about the seven letters in the book of Revelation. And this morning, we're going to get to conclude those seven letters. But before we do that, we do need to recognize uh, the season that we're in. And that is um, the season that we're in right now in the Jansen home is already the Christmas season. Now, here's what happens in the Jansen home. I don't know about you. After Remembrance Day, we drag out all of the Christmas decorations. And when I mean all of the decorations, we actually have to prepare our van to carry all of the Christmas decorations. Until recently, I could only do that by myself because there was no other room in the van for anybody to sit there. We go out to my father-in-law's place. We put all the seats in the van down. We grab all the decorations, and we bring them out in the van, drive them back home, how many people right now have their Christmas decorations up already? Just by show of hands. Okay, so you're, you're with me. If you don't, that's okay. That's all good. But in the Jansen home, after Remembrance Day, the decorations go up. But here's the deal. So we get the decorations, we drag them into the house, and then we put them up. But the secret sauce to the Christmas decorations is actually sitting right here. And her name is Mrs. Christmas. You know, if we had those Christmas decorations, and I was thinking about this the other day, if we brought those decorations home and we put them in our house and then Tanya went on vacation and it was up to me to put them up, it would be a disaster. Because the source of our Christmas, isn't that true, Josiah? That's true, isn't it, son? Yeah, he's got a thumbs up back there. It would be a disaster. Because the source of Christmas in our house is Tanya Jansen. Christmas decorations. Yes, sorry, not sorts of Christmas. This is not, I'm not speaking, uh, uh, um, yeah, this is, this, is, this is direct. Okay, now, now you're making me lose my space here, all right? It is my beautiful wife, Tanya Jansen. She is the source of our Christmas decorations. And without her, it just wouldn't be the same. She puts everything in the right place. She's got the candles up. If you walk in there right now, it's like a Christmas wonderland. It is spectacular, and it even smells like it. Because of this woman right here. She's the source. You could have all the decorations, but without the source for the decorations, it wouldn't look the same. And today when we're talking about the Lord, we're talking about Jesus and a letter that he wrote to a church called Laodicea. And what we understand is that you could have the elements of a life. You could have the elements of a life that is lived well, but without the source of life, you would not have the abundant life that he has for you. And this, the, the, the main idea today that I want to talk about as we dive into this letter today to Laodicea is this idea that Jesus is the source of abundant life. Jesus is the source of abundant life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 through 22. As has been our custom, we're going to read the letter this morning, and then we're going to pray 
We're going to give you a little bit of a Google Earth zoom out view into the location to give you a little bit of a context to what's going on here. And then we're going to dive into it verse by verse this morning to see what Jesus wants to say to us today. Okay, you guys with me? So Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And I'm going to be reading to you from the New King James Version this morning. And this is what it says. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sit down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for your word, God. We come under, Lord Jesus, the authority of your word this morning, Lord God, and we pray that you would speak to us from your word. God, we pray that our hearts would be turned to you, Lord Jesus. And Father, we pray this morning, Lord God, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of our calling and what are the riches of the inheritance of the saints, Lord God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way so that your presence can come and move in this place. I pray that not one person would leave this place the same, but God, that we would all be changed by the implanted seed of the word of God. We thank you that your word will accomplish what it is set out to do, and it will not return void. And we thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. So this letter is the last letter in a series of seven letters written to seven different churches in a certain region in an area that would be today modern-day Turkey. This is the last letter, and um, one of the things you should note about this is that the letter we read last week that Pastor Mike preached on didn't have any really negative things to say, whereas this letter today didn't have very many positive things to say about the church. What is this church, and and where are they from? What's the context? Let's give you a little bit of background here. The church is in a place called Laodicea. Now, this is a very strategic area back then. Um, It was actually located in a valley on, on a trail or on a pathway that led between the east and the trade route that led to Ephesus, which at that time was a, a, a city that was on the sea. It was a city that was on the sea, and it was a port city. And so the, the traders would travel through this region to go to the east to collect the, the items that they would bring out, and they would bring over through to Ephesus to trade with, uh, the, moder- with the world at that time. Um, Laodicea was originally founded as a fortress. However, it had a major downfall. There was a major problem there, and that was this. They did not have their own source of water. So in order for them to get water, they had to have water piped in through an underground aqueduct into the city. Now, this was a problem because when there was no peace, 
uh, it could easily be attacked and it could e- easily be overcome. However, the, the, the circumstances came where Rome took over that region and we had something called Pax Romana at the time. Everybody say Pax Romana because it's fun to say. Everybody, Pax Romana. Very nice. Pax Romana. Very, very nice. And so at that time, there was peace because of Rome. And so they were overseeing this region, and it became a thriving, thriving city. In fact, this city was known for three things. Number one, it was known for having very solvent banks. It was extremely financially independent and wealthy. Um, uh, they were so solvent, in fact, that there's a story that's told about uh, an earthquake that took place there in about 60 A.D., There was an earthquake, and Rome offered to bring money in and resources to help them to rebuild the city. And Laodicea said this, no, Rome, we're good. We got this. And they were able to rebuild the city on their own. They were so wealthy that they took that on themselves. They had this attitude that was prevalent throughout the city that was, we've got this. We know what we're doing. Laodicea was wealthy. Here's the second thing they were known for. They were known for their textiles. They had this certain type of wool there. It was like a black wool that they would make into this very special garment, and and they would sell these garments. So they were known for their wealth. They were known for their their clothing, their fashion, if you will. It It was a center of culture, a center of fashion. And finally, they were also known for their medical prowess. In the region uh, around that area, there was a medical school that was very famous. And one of the things that they were famous for was a salve. A salve that was used for ears and also was used for eyes. And this would export all over the region uh, from that area, and they were known for their medical prowess. They were known as as people that had a a strong medical uh, 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 community. So they had financial wealth, They had an extensive uh, textile industry, and then the the popular eye salve, which was exported around the world. Um, This is Laodicea. This is what's happening in the context of that area, and this is where this church is located. It's mentioned a number of other places in the scriptures as well, and in Colossians uh, 2, verses 1, as well as uh, Colossians 4, 13. Paul mentions Laodicea specifically. I'll just read you one of them. He says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you of those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So he mentions Laodicea in the passage. And part of the reason for that is that um, uh, uh, Colossae was actually located with about, uh, within about 10 miles of the city. There were two major neighbors to them uh, that were close to them. There was one that was uh, Colossae, and that was known for having um, spring water, a really fresh spring water. Much of the water, I believe, would have been um, uh, piped in from that region into Laodicea. And then there was another area uh, there as well, and that one was called Aeropolis, and it was six miles away. And that area was known for hot springs. Now, this is going to become important in just a moment, so hang with me, okay? That area was known for its hot springs, and it was known for having healing waters. We're going to come back to that in a moment. And these two communities were, um, were, were close to them, and they would use their, their resources as well, and they would share resources between them. And, and so we have Laodicea, a city that is wealthy, that has a strong textile industry, and that is known for a medical, being a medical center that provided medical and medicinal uh, items and, and medicines to the world around them at that time. This is Laodicea, and this is the community that the church is located in that Jesus writes the letter to. And he says this, we'll start at the beginning and we'll work our way through, verse by verse. Revelation 3.14 
And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write this. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I want you to remember this, church. We've been talking about these letters um, over the past six weeks, and there's been a theme that's been emerging throughout them, and that is this, that God is always calling us back into right relationship with him. The heart of God is always to, to call us back into right relationship with him. And so when Jesus begins this letter, he starts by pointing people back towards himself. He starts by introducing himself once again to the church of Laodicea, and he describes himself in this way. He says, number one, I am the amen. Now, in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, it says, for all the purposes of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Daryl Johnson says this, that means that he is utterly trustworthy he is a trustworthy foundation of life. His word is valid, and it is binding. Now, we know that word amen today because often we say it when we conclude a prayer, right? We finish a prayer, and I say, and everybody said? Amen. Very good. The actual meaning of the word is this idea of so be it. Let it be according to your word. Let it come to pass the way that you have said it. And Jesus declares himself as the so be it. The one who's going to bring it to pass. The one who, who began it, who's going to finish it. He's the God of the amen. In Hebrew, the thought amen is a way of acknowledging something that is valid and that is binding. Jesus describes himself in this way. As the one that is valid and the one that is binding. That's the first way he describes himself. The second way he describes himself is this. He describes himself as the faithful and true witness. The faithful and the true witness. Now, this is important because today for us this is important because we live in an era and a time where truth is hard to find. Truth is defined as whatever you want it to be. Truth is relative. It's, it's whatever you think or whatever you feel. It's the philosophy of the day. But here Jesus is describing it this way. He's saying, listen, truth is not just a philosophy or an emotion or, 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 or the sign of the time, but truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. See, we could say it this way. Jesus Christ is absolute truth. He is the North Star. It's not an idea. It's a person, and it's a relationship, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Jesus in John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His name is Jesus. And here's the third way that he describes himself. The beginning of the creation of God. And now when we think about this idea of beginning, the, 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 the Greek word there is actually the word ark. And what that refers to is not just the beginning. You know, what we'd often think about the beginning is, you know, if I were to ask you, what's the beginning of the alphabet? You would say it's the letter. Very good. What's the, uh, I, okay, I'm, I'm trying to think of something else off the top of my head that would be the beginning. But that's the, the one that comes to mind is the A. This is more than just the idea of the beginning. Now remember, Jesus describes himself in many of these letters as the Aleph and the Tav, as, as the beginning and the end. And that's how he describes himself. But in this case, the word beginning actually goes deeper than that. Because not only is it about the beginning, the first in the sequence, but it's actually the source of the sequence. 
It's the originator of the sequence. It's the archetype of the sequence. Jesus is saying, not only am I the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end, but I am also the founder and beginner and the source of the sequence. In other words, Jesus is describing himself here as the ultimate source. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is, the, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So we come back to our main idea today, and that is this. Jesus is the source of abundant life. So he sets it up right at the very beginning. He says, I'm going I'm to tell you about myself. I'm going to point you back to me. Because what you're missing right now, you don't even realize it, Laodicea, is you are missing me. The source of all life. The source of abundant life. Now we move on into Revelation 13, 15, and 16. And we're going to break this, these next um, five sections down into, into five sections, is what we're going to break them down to, with a heading on each one. And we're going to get to the point of Jesus calling people back to himself. We're going to, we're going to see it here. There's hope, just so you know. This first part gets a little dark, but then there's lots of hope, just so you all know. I would argue that this particular letter has the most grace of any letter that we read. And I'm going to show it to you right now. Revelations 3, 15 to 16. He says this, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. Now, I could wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I vomit you out of my mouth. This first section I'm calling the metaphor. The metaphor. Now, when we think about this idea of hot and cold, I think it's also important for us to understand the context in the area that they were living in. Remember I told you this, that 10 miles away there was a city by the name of Colossae. And Colossae had a, uh, a, 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 it was known for having a spring, a, a freshwater spring that provided fresh and, uh, and, and life-giving water. But on the other side, there was another area that was called Aeropolis. And that was six miles away. And that area was known for its life-giving and healing hot springs. So on one side, you had nice, cool, fresh, crisp, refreshing water. And on the other side, you had this healing water. And this is what would happen in the area. The, the water would come from the hot springs. And, and we're told historically that they, what would happen is it would actually run down over a cliff a few miles away from uh, Laodicea. And you could actually look out at this cliff and you could see the calcium deposits on the cliff because the, the hot water from the hot springs would come down. And how many of you have ever been around a hot spring before? Have you ever smelt a hot spring? Yeah, yeah, you know that smell like, like eggs? Everybody ever been to, to Harrison Hot Springs? I mean, I grew up in that area. And every time I go up there, we'd always go to the source of the hot spring. I remember my mom taking me up to the source of the hot spring when I was a kid. And I'd be like, Mom, what's that smell? That's the hot water. Oh, yeah, yeah, disgusting. And what would happen is this water would, would run down over the cliff, and it would make its way over towards Laodicea. And, and unsuspecting tourists, we're told, would go and they would drink the water. They didn't know. And it would often make them want to throw up. Because by that point, it had lost its heat. It had lost its, its unique aspect. It had become lukewarm. And it would make them want to throw up. I think often when we read this passage, the way that I grew up with it is, is this idea that you're either going to be hot for Jesus 
bold in the world, right? You're either going to be hot for Jesus or you're going to be cold in the world. We kind of had this idea growing up that there was either, you know, make up your mind. Either go after Jesus or don't go after Jesus. But I'd like to argue that the real issue here is not hot or cold. The issue is lukewarm. That's what Jesus is going after here. That what God is asking for us is to either be, um, I, I, there's a great quote here I have. We're told that, um, yeah, hot water heals, cold water refreshes, but lukewarm water is useless for either purpose. And that, that's what it is. I, I think there's, a, there's a, a, a theological case to be made for that. I think, I, I believe that what God is saying here is, you know, God's not saying, you know, make, your, make up your mind. I don't really care what you do. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying because it doesn't line up with 2 Peter 3, 9 where he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think the issue here is not necessarily choose one or the other, but it's just don't be lukewarm. Don't be lukewarm. Why is that? In Matthew 5, 13, we're told this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. What Jesus is telling us here is that we need to flavor the world around us. See, one of the aspects, one of the things that happens or characteristics of lukewarm water is that it's water that's allowed to take on the characteristics of its surrounding environments. It hasn't been stewarded. It hasn't been brought purposefully. But it's been allowed to take on the characteristics of the environment around it. And Jesus has not called us to take on the flavor of the world around us. Amen? Jesus has called us to be the salt of the earth and to flavor every area that we go into. We are the body of Christ. And that's what he's called us into. Rudrick and Green said this, The church in Laodicea was providing neither refreshment for the spiritually weary nor healing for the spiritually sick. It was totally ineffective and thus distasteful to its Lord. Daryl Johnson says this, lukewarmness says that the amen and ark that we heard about at the beginning of life is not worthy of passionate faith. So apparently what has happened here to this church in Laodicea is that they've taken on the flavor of the world around them. They've, they've kind of allowed themselves to fall into that environment and they've taken on the characteristics of those around them. And remember what the top three characteristics were of Laodicea? They were wealthy, they had a clothing and, and textile, um, a, a strong textile um, setup. And then also, they were known for their, their medical prowess. And so now we come to the problem. That's the metaphor. Here's the problem. In Revelations 3.17, Because you say, I am rich, remember, wealthy, or have become wealthy and have needed nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, Poor, blind, and naked. It is pretty bad. <laughs> David Guzik says it this way in his commentary. He says, The city of Laodicea was famous for its wealth, 
But the Christians of the city were spiritually wretched, miserable, and poor. Laodicea was famous for its healing eye salve, but the Christians in the city were spiritually blind. Laodicea was famous for its fine clothing, but the Christians of the city were spiritually naked. Mount says it this way, It is frequently noted that Laodicea provided itself on three things, financial wealth, an extensive textile industry, and a popular eye salve, which is exported around the world. Wealth, clothing, and medicine. What is Jesus getting at here? This is a people, this is a church that has fallen into the trap of believing that because they are prosperous in wealth, textiles, and medical prowess, that they do not have a need for God. Now, can that happen for us today? Certainly. Let us not fall into the trap of assuming that because of our prosperity, that it is somehow tied to our right standing with God. Because we can boast in nothing but Jesus Christ. Now, that ought not to make you feel depressed or down. That ought to remind you of his goodness and his greatness. That there is nothing more than him. I always say this. The fact that I stand here today and preach to you is not God's saying, hey, look at this guy. He's so righteous. But it's actually a sign of the grace of God working in my life. I can boast in nothing but Jesus Christ. And neither can you when it comes to your salvation and your right standing with God. So here we have this harsh word to this church. And then we have the solution. The solution is in Romans, Revelations 3.18. Here's what he says I want you to do. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Remember the three things that they were known for, their wealth, their clothing, and their eye salve. Remember that. That's what they're known for. So he says, this is what I counsel you to do. Buy it from me. So, what if that was my word to you today? Okay, guys, so here's the solution. Make sure you're buying this stuff from Jesus. You're like, great. Okay, so I'm going to go home. I'm going to check up my uh, bank account. Okay, yeah, I got some money there. Okay, e-transfer. Jesus Christ. Click. What? Where, where am I, I going to get this? Where, where, where am I going to get this gold? Where, where am I going to get these clothing? It's, it says to buy it. How am I supposed to do it? How am I still supposed to figure it out? And, and I believe that the point of this particular solution is not to give you a direct solution of how you can do it, but to point you back to the realization that you can't do it on your own. That you, like all of us, need Jesus. We need him. And you know why you can't buy these things? Because it's a free gift. It's a free gift from the Father. Romans 5, 15 says this, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And you know who many is? Thank you, Jesus! Come on, I counsel you, buy gold, buy white clothing, buy eye salve from me. How are you going to get it? It's only through Jesus. You can't earn enough. You can't make enough. 
You see what Jesus is doing here? He's subverting the culture that these people live in where they think that because they've got all the money and because they think that they've got all this medical prowess and because they think they've got things kind of tied up and figured out that they can do this on their own. And Jesus is pointing them back to the fact that without him, you can do nothing. He is the source of life. Do we recognize our need of him? Do we recognize it? Are we aware of it? Now here's the next part, the motive. Here's what he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. And this word here for, for love, David Guzik says this, the word for love is, in, is, in many as I love, it's not the word agape, but phileo. Jesus' heart to this church is, even though I rebuke you and chase you, chasten you, I am still your friend. I love you deeply as my friend. Now, um, for those of you who have studied a little bit of Greek, you might know that there is different words that are used for different um, English words that we use today. And when you unpack those words, they often have different meanings. So um, the phileo love is this idea of friendship, of deep affection for everyone. And, and, and I love that Jesus says this here because he's telling them, listen, you guys, I love you. This is the church that nothing good is said about. This is the church that doesn't even have, you know, most of them are like, hey, I see your works. I see that you got great doctrine. I see that you're, you're, you're holding up the faith. I see that you're serving the poor. I see these things. There's none of that here. It's just like, hey, I got a problem. You're lukewarm. But guess what? I love you. I love you. Come on, if you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, Matt, I can, see, I can see what you're saying, that idea of lukewarm, I'm feeling it in my heart. I think the message of the cross, the message of Jesus to you today is this. Guess what? I know, and I love you. Guess what? I know that you've been, your love's grown cold towards me, but I love you. That's why I called you here today. I love you. That's why I'm, I'm calling you back to myself. That's why I gave you the grace to get out of your bed this morning and make your way over to the church so you can encounter the love of God. Guess what? I love you. I love you. That's the motive. Job 5, 17 says, But consider the joy of those corrected by God. Do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. And here's the question. How can we be joyful in correction? How can we be joyful in correction? When we trust God that the correction will lead to our joy. We can trust in his correction. This goes back to the idea I was talking about a few Sundays back where, you know, when, one of the hardest things about being a parent is holding the line. Does anybody relate to that with me? You know, like they, kids will just push and push and push and push all day long. And then they'll push you too far, and then you've got to do something about it because you've got to hold the line. And I always sit with my kids, and they always ask me the same question. Dad, why do you do this? Like, why do you even do this? And I'll say, you know what? Ashlyn, Aubrey, Josiah, not so much anymore. But I'll say to them, you know what? If I didn't care, if I didn't love you, I'd just say, do whatever you want to do. But because I'm your dad and I love you, I can't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase you. I'm going to correct you because I, I believe it's for your good. And you know what? God the Father knows what's for your good better than me. Better than anyone else. So you can trust him in his correction. 
Barkley says it this way, it is a fact of life that the best athletes and the finest scholar receives the most demanding training. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now what's our response? Therefore be zealous and repent. I'm, I'm just going to talk about zealous for just a second here. When we're talking about being zealous, we're not talking about being fanatical. Okay, this is actually, uh, we don't just leave our intelligence and our reasoning at the door, but there's actually a reasoning behind this. Fanaticism is an unreasoned and unintelligent wholeheartedness. When we talk about zealousness here, we're talking about intelligent awareness of God's goodness and his plan for our lives and submitting our lives willingly to him. Okay? Zealous and repent. Remember we talked about repentance a few weeks back? What's repentance? Hey, Matt, you're going the wrong way. Oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go back to the right. It's to turn around and turn to. If you hear God calling to you, it's not a thing about shame or guilt or anything. It's about turning back towards the way that he's called you to go. That's it. Okay, you ready? We're almost done here, guys. This is the last one. The last section, if you will, is this, the invitation. And that today is the title of my message as we close. Revelation 3 verse 20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. So we have the harshest of all of the letters. We have this letter that has no good in it. It's all bad. It's all about lukewarm. People have lost their first love. They've, they're not even paying attention. They've, they've taken on the flavor of the world around them. They're living in a way that is, is contrary to the will of God. They're so far out that they don't even realize they're far out. And Jesus' message to them is, I love you, and I'm here. I'm here. I'm standing at the door, and I'm knocking. Guess what? This is not man seeking God. This is God seeking man. This is the, they call, the old timers called it the hound of heaven that pursues you, that comes after you, that won't let you go. That says, listen, I know you failed, but I love you. I know that you've messed up in the past, but I love you. I know that you've made some mistakes, but guess what? I love you. And even now, I stand at the door, and I knock. I knock, and I'm waiting for you. See, part of God's grace that he's given us is something called a free will. Trench says it this way, um, every man is the Lord of the house of his own heart. It is his fortress, and we must open the gates of it. Today, Jesus stands at the door of your heart, and he knocks, and he waits. He says, would you open it? You know what he promises? If you open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. And the idea of that supper, um, Barclay says it this way, supper was the main meal of the day in those days. Um, this was a meal at which a man sat and talked for long. For now there was time for the work had ended. It is not merely a, a courtesy visit said in passing, which the Lord Jesus offered us. He desired to come in and sit long with us and to wait as long as we wished him to wait. To open the door is to choose to worship. To open the door is to choose to give him lordship. It's to say, God, I recognize that I, I might not even see 
how lukewarm I've become. But I hear you calling. I hear you knocking. I hear you at the, heart of, uh, at the door of my heart. And here's the other thing about this door. It seems to be a door that has a door handle only on one side. It doesn't say Jesus is going to grab that door handle and force his way into your life. You have to let him in. You have to let him in. And then it says in Revelations 3, 21 and 22, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I want to close today with a quote that I've read to you before, but it's something that I think speaks volumes to this idea today. That we could have all the elements that we need to have a good life. We could have wealth, and we could have good clothing on our backs. We're all dressed today, so we're all there. We could have medical, which we have an amazing medical system that we have today. We could have all these things to have a good life, but if you want to have an abundant life, it's only found in Jesus Christ. And the idea today is this, that the source of abundant life is Jesus. So as we close today, I'm going to read you this wonderful quote from a godly man, C.S. Lewis. And he says it this way. It's such a beautiful picture. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Have you allowed yourself to be far too easily pleased? Have you allowed yourself to, to, to like this, this metaphor at the very beginning, to begin to take on the characteristics of the world around you? Guess what? It happens to all of us. It's a default. It will happen continually. And you say, what do I need to do? Go buy some gold clothing and eye salve. No. <laughs> How do you do that? Let him in. Just open the door. Say, Jesus, come back in. I'm here. I hear you knocking. I hear you calling out to me. Open the door and let him in. Now, I, I don't know your heart. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how this spoke to you. I hope it did. I hope it spoke to you. But this is very simple, and this is for all of us. Would you open the door to him today? Would you allow him to come in and change you from the inside out? How we're going to respond to this today, church, is I'm going to have my beautiful wife come up, and, and we're just going to sing that simple song again as, an, as a response to the Lord. And, and then I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to release you today. If you would all stand with me, I'm going to join her up there.
presence is here, that your promises towards us are yes and amen, and you are the source of every good thing, Lord God. You are the source of all life. And today we recognize that you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock, and we say, God, come in. Come in and have your way in us. God, abide in us, we pray, Lord Jesus. Let us abide in you, that we may walk with you throughout every moment of our days. Jesus, we pray for those that are here today that have felt far from you, Lord God. And we pray today, Lord Jesus, they would encounter your presence. Father, we pray a fresh anointing and outpouring of the Holy Spirit to fill this place. And we say, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Jesus. 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 Father, bless each one here. Let your anointing go before us. Let it come behind us and around us, Lord Jesus. And help us to represent you well as the carriers of the kingdom. And help us, Lord Jesus, to care for and to bring people to you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everybody said.